The past few weeks, we've been featuring some fathers, the Father's House Ministries. If you're new around here, the Father's House is an overall vision for everything that God is doing here and will do in the future. We've heard from uh, Kids Corner Outreach. We've heard from the Wellness Center. We've heard from Mooresville Christian Academy last week. We're going to hear from things like Sozo Ministry and His Heart Missions and on and on and on. Today, I want to mention, as the director, um, Healing Rooms at River Life. How many people have been to Healing Rooms at River Life? Raise your hand. All right. So, scattering of you. You're pretty familiar with that. But basically, last month, we celebrated two consecutive years of Healing Rooms at River Life. It's been two years already in May. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Lord. Yeah. And basically what that is and looks like is on the first and third Thursdays, you've seen the sign out front, we have our prayer room where we have a team of people, we're together and and praying together, we gather here, and when someone comes, and about 80% is a pretty good guesstimate, about 80% of the folks that have and do come to the healing rooms, we don't know, they're from outside this church and the community and such. And uh, so it's pretty exciting, that being the situation. And so when they come in here, it's kind of like when you go to a doctor's appointment, you know. They're like, Mr. Bollinger, will you please fill out some information? And you go and sit down with the clipboard. Well, it's kind of like that. They fill out their basic information. We ask some questions on that form about what what are you asking for prayer for? When did that start? Da-da-da-da-da. And then um, they get, take that back to the receptionist desk near, just inside the front door. And then... Um, Our prayer team leader that night in the prayer room gets that form from the receptionist and comes out here. The sanctuary is kind of like the seating area with soaking music playing. And they get that person and they bring them back to the prayer room. And we just spend somewhere on average 20 minutes or so, maybe a little bit longer sometimes, um, just soaking this person in the love of God. That's the main objective. I haven't... I could be wrong, but I've yet to talk to one person afterwards who didn't at least feel encouraged, feel a measure of hope, and feel an encounter with the love of the Father. So in that regards, it's been extremely, incredibly outstanding. And in addition to, many have received a measure of or complete healing. And I want to share one testimony real quickly with you about that. And this comes from Jenna Barber. Is Jenna in here this morning? Her and Eric have been coming to River Life. They've been a part of us now for about a year. Awesome folks. Get to know them and their daughters when you get a chance. But this is from about a year ago. And as I sorted through the many testimonies, this one really stood out to me. On June 14, 2010, my family and I got in an accident and we were hit from behind. I was in the passenger seat and my upper body was bent down and twisted to the left when we got hit. After a few days of increasing pain in my neck and back, I had a few visits with a chiropractor. Now I was having more inflammation and increasing pain. Finally, we went to the ER on June 25th to make sure nothing was broken or fractured. The ER diagnosed me with acute back pain, thoracic strain, lumbar strain, and acute cervical strain. It felt like whiplash from the top of my neck to the bottom of my spine. At this point, I was really frustrated and had not slept and was really tired. My family and I were set to fly out to California on July 4th for my brother-in-law's wedding. I didn't think I would be able to make a seven-hour plane flight to California in this situation. I was talking to a good friend when she suggested I try the healing rooms at River Life. So on the evening of July 1st, we went to healing rooms. As my husband and I prayed before going in, we both had an overwhelming sense that I was going to get healed. 
When I got in the room, the women started to pray for my neck first. After a few times praying, it started to lift, and I could move my neck from side to side. I was unable to move my neck due to the whiplash. Then they prayed for my mid-back, and all of a sudden, I felt and heard my back go, pop, 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 about five or six times. Again, I previously did not have any range of motion due to all the inflammation, strain, and torn muscles and ligaments. We tested it, and I was able to bend halfway over. Then one of my chil- oh, I'm sorry, then one of the women got a word of knowledge about childbirth. She felt like I had an issue since delivering one of my children. They had me sit in a chair and brought my legs straight out in front of me. My left leg appeared to be two inches shorter than my right one. As soon as they started to pray, I felt the craziest power come through me and shifted my left pelvic bone and hip into place. I felt the power shoot down my left leg and out. Right in front of our eyes, my left leg lined up perfectly with my right leg. Finally, we tested it again, and I was able to bend all the way over and touch the ground with all my hands, or with both my hands, all my hands, all two of them. I don't think she grew a hand. That wasn't part of the testament. Thank you, Lord. I was filled with joy and laughter after the healing. God is so good. Jenna Barbara. Yeah. Praise God. So we just had this thing made available. Christians and non-Christians alike come. And what's cool is it's not a meeting. So, you know, especially for non-Christians or whatever, or people a little afraid of the Holy Ghost in a meeting like this, they can come and just feel welcome, relaxed. It's low pressure. You know, it's nothing, nothing you need to do. So it's awesome. In addition, Arlen reminded me of this. We've started a few months ago on Thursday nights where we have a team that goes out on the streets, goes out in the t- community on what we call treasure hunts. And if I had time, I would explain that to you. But it's basically getting prophetic words from the Lord about situations and going looking for God's special treasure that night. And when we find them, we get to love on them and pour out the Lord's presence on them. So, yeah, here's how you can be involved. First of all, if you know someone or yourself that would like to attend, come to the healing rooms. These postcards are out in the foyer. It has all the information on it and our website. It's also a postcard. So if you wanted to mail it to a friend or a family member to let them know about healing rooms, it has a blank where you can, it says this postcard was sent by and you can put your name so that they know who sent this to them. And uh, so get the word out. You can help with that. And in addition, we've got a revolving door of people that are involved with it. And then they need to step out for whatever reason. So if you would like to be involved in the healing room, send me an email. I'll get you trained, meet with you, and just get us all on the same page. And in addition, anyone is welcome to come and be a part of our treasure hunts. We'll explain how that works when you get here. And uh, also we have an intercession team in another room that prays the entire time that we're doing both of these. So please get involved. Love to have you on board the team. And uh, we're looking forward to what God has for us. So that's healing rooms. Amen. Everybody good? All right. Let's, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get going. We have Ephesians 1.11. That's what we have. Let's read that for a minute. And let me just talk to you some... Now, y'all need to not just be in a listening mode, okay? Don't be in just a listening mode. Be in some kind of more proactive mode, okay? You know, 
Hey, Dayton, did you know that Max Licato was a Holy Spirit guy? I didn't know that. <laughs> Man, that was good. Go, Max. Well, he's just a great guy who knows how to make a pitch out of a word, doesn't he? He really does. He's an incredibly gifted man. I appreciate, you know, his stuff he's written. All right, 111. In him, we, in him also, we have attained an inheritance. Everybody say, obtained an inheritance. How many people in this room have ever really received an inheritance in the natural? Raise your hand if you have. Becky has received an inheritance, 50 bucks. That's a pretty good inheritance, but it is an inheritance. Some people have gotten more. Well, I've not gotten an inheritance in the natural, but I've got a spiritual inheritance, and you do too. And the Lord really wants to teach us how to lay hold of our spiritual inheritance. That's what the book of Ephesians is all about, It's to teach us and to reconfigure our thinking so that we can lay hold of the spiritual inheritances that Christ has for each one of us. And so it's really a very critical book um, you know, one of the things that I've learned about the spiritual life is and about the inheritance. The Bible says, in the, you know, in the Old Testament, the, the inheritance for the children of Israel was a land that flowed with milk and honey. That's the way God described that land that flowed. Did you know that milk and honey both will go bad if you leave them sitting long enough? Did you know that? They'll both go bad because they're meant to flow. And so God's inheritances that He has for each one of us is meant to flow. Religion is one size fits all. You know, you can buy hats that one size fits all. But that's not what the Christian life and what God has for us is not a one size fits all thing. You can tell in a church or any kind of group that's going bad when people start saying the exact same things, people will start wearing the same, same clothes. Boy, you know you're in trouble. That's when the religious spirit is really starting to take hold of a group of people. It's when everybody's trying to be uniform and, and everybody has to believe exactly the same and think the same and act the same. That's really not the way the spiritual life works. And so God really wants us to know that really the spiritual life for each one of us, there's certain basic things like the blood, okay, that's, that's for everybody always, all the time. But the way that works out, the way that's applied in our life is going to be completely different for each one of us. So God really wants us to have this flowing life a life that flows because his inheritance is flowing. It's always moving. In fact, uh, he leaves me beside still waters. That word still is not actually water just set stagnant. It's water that's a gentle flowing. It's actually still a moving. You've been beside these gentle flowing springs uh, where it just sort of is like, ah. You know, that's what they do to you and, you know, camping if you're lucky to get one. Anyway, so I look at the book of Ephesians as the, uh, one of the ways I look at it is like it's the book of Joshua in the New Testament. Okay, in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, it describes as a historical account of how God brought Israel into their spiritual inheritance, into the promised land. And so it's a historical account of a lot of great revelation in it on how to come into your inheritance. But Ephesians is not like that. Ephesians is more of a blueprint. That's really what it is, a blueprint for how you and I can come into everything that God has for us in our life. And so it's like looking at a blueprint and comparing what's on the blueprint to yourself. And one of the things that's really started happening in my life once I've been into Ephesians, which I've been into it for a while, is I began to look at the blueprint and I began to see things about my life that were not in alignment with the blueprint. Okay? In other words, there's beliefs, there's theologies and things that, I, that God has begun to start correcting in my life, begin to change in my life and, and, and point out to me that this is not really 
the way the Bible really describes it to be. And so that's the beauty of this thing. Is God will bring you in this if you can grab hold of the revelation that's in this book. It can literally change your life, change your theology, change your thinking, change, change the way you're supposed to be. And it's, and it's confrontive. It'll confront you. And we need to be confronted. Amen? And so God, that's really what God is trying to do. He's trying to bring us into something greater than we've ever had in our spiritual lives. It's time for the people of God to really receive their inheritance. Amen? And this is what the book does. It helps you to see what your inheritance looks like and helps you lay hold of your inheritance. All right, so anyways, that's sort of the thing I'm trying to get you... I like the word tantalize. You know what the word tantalize means? Excites you towards something. So I want you to be excited, excited to grasp hold of the, this book yourself and let it begin to do its work in you. Uh, so that's what we've been doing. Anyway, uh, Ephesians 4, let's look at Ephesians 4.1. And this, this is what Paul says here. Remember the, the way the book is divided up. You probably, I'm, maybe there's a couple of people who had not heard me say, well, I know Hannah has not heard this. Okay, so one person in the room has The book is divided up into two parts. Chapter 1 through 3 describes spiritually what I, that we have an inheritance. And there's, prayer, there's two prayers in there that help us to, to, to really begin to pray, to really come let that, for that inheritance to become a reality in our lives. And then chapter 4 through 6, Paul shifts gears and he begins to tell you, it's like, okay, Joshua, it's time to cross over. Okay, it's time to cross over and walk into the promised land. And then because, so Paul shifts into this gear of this is how you lay hold of these things. This is how you walk these things out. This is what your life looks like. And he says this is the first thing he says in verse 4 of chapter 1. I therefore, after all saying all that, the prisoner of the Lord. We never did the message on the prisoner of the Lord here, did we? We've got to do that message one day. Ooh, that's a killer message. Yeah, that's a tough, man, that's a hard revelation. I'm going to tell you right now, you want a hard revelation? You want a revelation that's really going to blow your little spiritual gaskets? Come up with a revelation of being a prisoner of the Lord. Okay? I mean, there is a revelation about being a prisoner of the Lord, which smacks against your everything in your mind at first. Okay? But we won't go there today, because I ain't really preached that message here, because I'm not, uh, not 100% comfortable with it, to be honest with you. I've been working with that thing for years now. Ken Helser gave us a word one time. And uh, I thought, man, I don't really like that word, Lord. Is that in the Bible? I'm hoping it's not, but it is. And he basically said, River Life has been called to be a prison. That we are to imprison people. Like Paul the Apostle was a prisoner of the Lord. And at first it's like, what? What kind of word is that? Who wants to be a prisoner? If you've been in jail, you'll know what being a prisoner is not no fun. But I'll tell you what, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it does. That's why I said I ain't messed with that message. I actually, <laughs> actually, I do have some revelation on what he shared. It's one of the most liberating messages in the world. Paul was one of the most free people that ever walked on the face of the earth, but he was a prisoner. Anyways, I'm going to get on that. I get off on that. Why did I even see that word? I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, here's what I want you to walk worthy. Everybody say, walk worthy. 
Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. See, everybody in this room has a calling. I don't care who you are. If you're a believer in Christ, you heard somebody call you. You heard salvation was a call. It's a, it's a word that comes to you. And, but it's not just a, a word to get saved. When God calls, He calls us into a life with Him, to, to live this life with Him. And he calls us to do different things in life. But it's a calling. And Paul was talking about here, if we're going to really come into all that He has for us, there's a way to walk out this thing. And God really wants us to walk out our Christian life in a certain way to walk worthy. Like everybody say walk worthy. We can walk, me and you can walk unworthy of the callings you have and God really wants to teach us how to walk worthy of the calling. Amen? Alright. Let's get rid of that. Oh, man, I messed up. I'm sorry. I went to another page. Anyways, so I got three things, the basic thing. Now, Paul does describe uh, uh, walking in, in the book of Ephesians. He talks about walking love, walking light, walking all this good stuff, okay, which is really important to what we're talking about. I wanna, but I want to give you these foundational three things that the Lord has really been working in my life. Again, this is the flowing part of Christianity. What, number one, there's three things. The first one is walk in faith, okay, walk in faith. Uh, in the book of Joshua, this is what the Lord told Joshua in ver- chapter 1, verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot goes, I have given you. Okay, that's what he said. So that's a walk of faith. In other words, every place that God, God is saying, Paul is saying, you, I want you to walk into this spiritual world. And every place you walk into this spiritual world, you have, you can possess it. And whatever's there, you can have it. Now that's what he was trying to tell you. You can have these riches in Christ as you walk in faith... And take these steps of faith towards what God has for you. Now, turn over to Romans 10, 8. I want you to read this with me. Um, and, and let me just tell you a few things that the Lord's been showing me about faith. Faith is important. But what does it, verse 10, chapter 10, verse 8, but what does it say? The Word, listen to this, is near you, number one, in your mouth, number two, in your heart, number three. That is the word of faith which we preach. Well, that term word of faith has been given a bad rap in the modern church because of the misuse of that word or the abuse of that whole concept of faith, right? And But it's in the Bible, so it's a legal term, and we should redeem that term because God is really interested in what we say. Paul said it. He said it right here in Romans. He says, you know, the words in your mouth is what you say. You see, right now, like never before, we're in a time of what we say is really matters. It really is. And, and, and the basic thing on what you say is not to say bad things, right? The basic thing is not to be critical. The basic thing is not to talk bad about people and say stuff that you really don't mean. But God really wants to take us beyond the basics of not, say, but of what we should be speaking. Okay, and God has written the Word on our heart. It says in Roman, uh, Hebrews 8 that the Word has been written on our heart. also says it's been put in our minds. And then another place in Hebrews, it says the, the Word was put in our hearts and written on our minds. So it's there within us. So, so what God wants to do is teach the people how to begin to confess and speak the truth that's in them. Because the Word is in you and I. And so what we had to do is we had to make a shift and begin to make these confessions that are true. 
okay, that are true to the Word and that really can impact and change your life by what we say. We can change our life by what we say. Okay, and, and what you say, you're not saying it to get it to be true. Okay, like I'm going to say it enough times and then it will become true. That's not right. You, you're saying something that's already the truth. And you see, God really wants us to begin to learn how to speak the truth. Okay, and there's nothing more true than the Word, the Scriptures. And so what we've got to learn how to do is begin to speak the Scriptures and speak the truth, speak the truth of the Scriptures and, and stop saying things that are not true, not just stop saying things that are bad, okay? Because what, what God wants to do is God wants to release real, true authority to the church, right? He wants to, are, right? Yeah, come on now. I told you all in other words, what God wants to do, we talk about speaking to storms, okay? Okay? And we talk about speaking to, to illnesses and, and, and condemning things that need to be condemned with our, our mouths, but at the same time, our mouths are saying bad things. And so God is, is, he is hesitant, and I really say this, He's hesitant to give you and I all the authority and power that we could have, that we should have, because we're saying bad things that are destructive. And Paul, you know, he even told the Corinthians, the Lord has not called me to tear down, but to build up. So he knew how to use his mouth to build up. He knew the right words to say he wasn't in a tear down mode. And so you see, God really wants us to bring us into a place when we're speaking, it's building up. It's not destroying unless this happens to be the devil. And then we can begin to destroy the works of the devil also with, with, our, with our words, because the Bible uses a lot of words against the devil. You know, you can tell the devil you hate him. That's legal. Just tell him right now, I hate you, devil. You know, because Jesus hates him, you know. But here's the thing. Yeah, he's sorry. He's crying me. Anyways, here's the, here's the thing. Uh, uh, Bob Jones had this uh, word about this silver bridle. I think I may have already said that in here before. Have I? Well, let me just say it again because it's really important. Because the silver bridle is, is James 3. No man can tame the tongue. It even uses, it even talks about the bridle that we put in horse's mouth. Well, God wants to put this silver bridle in our mouth, okay, which will control our mouths. And where our mouths are controlled, the direction of our lives are going to be controlled. I'm telling you, now, when, when you begin to ask the Lord to put that silver bridle in your mouth, it's not going to be 100% comfortable at first. Okay, that's the truth. It's really not going to be, because there's going to be something stuck in your mouth that's really going to, you know, you're going to feel it. And you're going to want to resist it. Okay? But the Lord really wants to give people a silver bridle because He really wants to bring us into a place where we can really begin to speak the Word that's written on our heart and speak it with power and authority. And it begins to change the course of our life and changes the situations around us. So, so really, it's really key for us right now. Here's one of the... You know, I've been praying this, and here's what's starting to happen just in my life with this, is God really is concerned about the truth, okay? And we have a lot of mixture in us, okay? One of the things I was saying is, since I really started going after this Ephesian things, I began to see some things in me that were not biblical. That there was a mix in me, okay, of, of truth, half-truth, you know, that were, not, that were not fully the truth. And so, I mean, I can go back to some of my old message notes and read them like, oh, man. Have mercy on me, Lord. That wasn't right. 
Now, we want that in our life ultimately, don't you? You want to be able to look back in your past and say, Oh, I've, the Lord's grown me. The Lord's given me revelations. I have a lot more you know, grace in my life than I had then. And I'm seeing things a lot. We don't want that. But here's what the Lord doesn't want. He doesn't want us speaking stuff that's, that's, that's half right and half wrong. One of the things that... Here's what we do, okay? Everybody does this, but this is what I... We will exchange truths. Okay, in other words, there'll be a truth that comes, and we will get rid of one truth to justify the other truth. Okay? You see what I'm saying? Like, there's the truth of the kingdom of God being inside of you, and there's the truth of the kingdom of God being at hand. Right? And what we do many times, we will, like, well, since we're emphasizing the kingdom being within, we push that kingdom, we dismiss or diminish the kingdom out here. Are y'all following that? And you see, that's really wrong to do that because you're diminishing or you're dismissing the Word. Okay? And so people do that all the time. If you'll listen real closely to because people really, you know, because God does emphasize certain truths in certain seasons. Okay? Are y'all following this? See, what I'm telling you, this bridle, when you begin to get this bridle in your mouth, you will begin to, to hear what's wrong in other people and not just yourself. You will begin to hear when the truth is being, dis, you know, being negotiated away. Right? That's what I'm saying to you. We can't negotiate the truth away. Even if, it's, even if God is emphasizing you right now, I want to speak to you. I want a relationship with you. I've heard people dis, uh, uh, negotiate the, the other part of having uh, teachers and preachers speaking to you. Are y'all seeing this? And see, this is really important for us right now. And that's part of what that bridle does. That bridle teaches you and ch- not only teaches you and trains your tongue, it teaches you how to discern the truth that's being released. Because you will hear something and you, in, the, in the word, the truth is in you, is going to say to you, no, that's, that's not what the word says. And that's really what we need right now. When we begin to get that, then we're going to have some real authority to, to work with. I'm excited about this. Y'all are looking at me real serious like... You know, but this is really how one of the things that God will begin to to do with your life. Another thing, and this is how faith operates. Another thing that God really wants us to do is the shield of faith. Okay, because the enemy—I don't know about you—but there's a lot of fiery darts being shot these days. I mean, barrages of them. Fiery darts are lies from hell. They're lies, and they're coming at you, and they don't have any power over you unless they get into your mind and you start agreeing with them. Okay, and that's why we need that shield of faith to constantly hold that shield of faith up to keep the lies and keep the lies from penetrating into our minds, and then then we're living from a lie. And so we really have to walk with that shield of faith up in our lives and, and be conscious of that. And so the beauty of it is this: when we begin to be able to discern the truth more, when the lie comes cloaked in a truth, okay, we're going to know it, and we'll throw that shield of faith up immediately and resist it. So that silver, well, I'm, here's the point. The silver bridle is very important for you and I. Not only for what we say, but for what we allow into our lives. And what, so we're going to in a little bit pray. Man, I wish y'all would really hear that. All right, so here's, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you a, t- let, let's look at 1 John 4, 17. Because this, this will test you. Okay, First John four seventeen. This is this is about walking in faith. Still, are y'all okay? Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. That's awesome, isn't it? That means this. This is what that means for you and I right this moment. 
How many people in this room are like me? You, you commit a sin. Y'all commit sins every once in a while, right? And then you, you'll say, Oh, Lord, I'm just so sorry. Would you forgive me, Lord? Lord, just t- let the blood come. I'm, you know, amen, Lord, I'm forgiven. But for, for three or four days, you're walking around feeling all condemned on the inside. And what it is, is your conscience speaking to you because here's what your conscience is always going to do. Your conscience is saying, somebody's going to pay. Somebody. And it's you're this paying. You're going through this this probationary period that you're all messed up because your conscience is making you do that even though the Lord has already forgiven you. Okay? And you're forgiven, but you your conscience is not hearing something. That's, and that's what, how the blood, what the blood does. You have to appeal to the blood, which says to the conscience, be quiet. Just be quiet. You have no authority to speak. You have no right to speak because the blood is greater. You know, what does the Scripture say? If our hearts condemn us, it's talking about your conscience. If, it's, if, you, if it condemns us, you know, God is greater than that. And so that's how you get out of condemnation in your life is by putting the blood of Jesus to cleanse your heart from an evil conscience. That's what the Bible says. That's a good part, but actually that wasn't what I was going to say. But I know everybody suffers with that, so this is real practical. But this is the one that I love here, the, the second part. Because as he is, speaking of Christ, so are we in the world. As he is, so are we in the world. Now, think about it. Jesus is not sick, right? Jesus is not impoverished. Jesus is not depressed. Jesus is not hopeless. Okay, so what we need to be... Now, here's a, here's a confession. This is what you need to start doing. I really tell you, you need to start doing this. You need to wake up in the morning. Lord Jesus, as you are, so am I right now. As you are, so am I right now. Not only that, one of your children are messed up. One of your kids are falling away. Or somebody's married. Lord, as you are, so is my child right now. And as we begin to confess the truth of it, there's power that starts getting released. It's not making that word true. That word is true. It starts becoming a reality in our life, and God begins to transform us and change us to what, it's, what it really says. It really is good. So really, that's one of the everyday things that I'm praying to the Lord. Pray. Man, I'm telling you, if you will begin to pray these scriptures and pray scriptures like that, pray scriptural prayers, there's power. Things will change. Those are wills of God scriptures. You know, what's the will of God? The will of God, as He is, so are we. And God's will is for us to be changed and conformed into the image of Christ, both in character, nature, and power. And so here we are, we're saying, Lord, we want more power and authority as you are because you have all power and authority. And you, as you are, as you delegate that power to me, as you delegate that authority, as you delegate health into my life, as you delegate health into my relationships. And that's really a a prayer we can make. It's a simple prayer. As you are, Lord, so am I in this world. And see, as we begin to tell the truth and speak this thing out, because it says the words near you, it's in your mouth, and it's in your heart. And as you confess it, the word that's in your heart will become, begin to be a reality in your life. And it'll be all, so it goes to your heart, your mouth, and it comes out here. But we have to use our confession to speak it. There's not a person in this room ever got to know the Lord and got saved without making a confession. And a lot of times you didn't feel it when you made the confession, right? You didn't feel saved. When I got saved, I didn't feel saved the next minute. I just believed it. I trust it. I'm saved. And something started happening in my life. You know? And so the, the, that's the whole principle of walking in faith. Amen? Yeah. 
So, you know, you know, it's like Cindy Martinez. Cindy, you can say to your liver, you know what I'm saying? As he is, as Jesus, as you are, so am I. Liver, did you hear that? As Jesus is, so am I. And you can begin to speak to that. And as that thing just starts becoming a reality and you really start believing in what's written in your heart, then that thing can begin to have an effect in your life. And, you know, and sooner or later, I'm not saying it's going to happen instantly, but sooner or later when we do that, something's going to happen. That's speaking the truth. Power's getting released in your life, you know. And so I just believe that with all my heart. And I'm learning how to walk. The next one, number two, is uh, walking in humility. Uh, don't y'all love that one? Let's read verse uh, Ephesians 4, 2, 3, 3. So number one, walking in faith. Okay, the other one is walking in humility. This is really important. Uh, it says, you know, in verse 2, you know, walk worthy of the calling. So you walk in faith is one way to do it. The next one is number two, verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. That's humility. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of the peace. Okay, so, so you have uh, Joshua back to Joshua. When Joshua 5, you know, Joshua had this encounter with the Lord. And the Lord, what did he tell him to do? He said, take your shoes off because this ground is holy your own. So Joshua had a foot of faith where he was walking in faith. But he also had this other foot because most people need two feet to walk, Right? I mean, to really walk, you really need two feet. You need a foot of faith, and you need a foot of humility. And that's really what, when, when Paul used the word walk there, walk, worthy of the calling, you know what it means? It, put, it means putting one front foot in front of the other. That's what it means. One in front of the other, one in front of the other. One in, so this is the way our Christian life, if you and I are going to go anywhere in God, if we're going to do anything, we've got to walk like this. Humility, faith, humility, faith, humility, faith, humility, faith, humility, faith, humility, faith, humility, faith. And if we don't have both of those... If you don't have both of this, if you're just walking in faith, you know what you're going to do? You're going to go in circles because that other foot ain't going to work. You're just going to be going in circles. Or if you're just walking around, just oh, I'm just a humble guy, but you have no faith operating. You, you're not confessing. You're not speaking out the truth. You're going to go around in circles. The only person I know who can walk without two feet is Michelle Perry. But she has to use a crutch. And God doesn't want us to use a crutch. And see, that's what, to me, is a picture of a lot of Christians is they're using crutches to get, get through in life. And I can tell you, Michelle Perry, I watched her go down the steps at our house, and it was sad to me. I was standing behind her watching her go down. And it was really sad to watch a 33-year-old woman go down the steps like a 90-year-old woman, you know, because she only has one leg. Of course, she'll tell you, I've already, I, already, you know, I told you about that, don't I? Yeah. Yeah, I said, Michelle, you ever, you ever, I told y'all about this. You ever wonder what it's like to walk on two legs? She said, oh, I already know. I've been in heaven walking on two legs. I know exactly what it is. I'm just waiting for it to happen on earth. I'm like, oh, man, you can't keep up with this woman. <laughs> you know? She's already ahead of you two steps. And she only has one leg. You know? But God really is calling us to walk. It's Micah, is it, it's Micah. Micah, I wrote it down. Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you, old man? To do justly, walk humbly, and, and what was that? Love the Lord. Love mercy. Do justly, walk humbly, and love mercy. That's what the Lord requires of us. He wants us to walk humbly with Him. Okay? And so here's how you walk humbly with the Lord. Is you agree with the Lord. Okay? And whatever the Lord's doing, you agree with what God's doing. And you don't argue. See, a lot of, have you noticed a lot of Christians get stuck in their spirituality? They'll advance 
as, as Christians, but then all of a sudden God starts doing something that offends their thinking. You know one of the ultimate revelations of pride is we can't receive something because we can't understand it? People, I don't understand that. I don't understand how God could do that. I don't understand why God's doing that. That's pride. Just lift your mind above what God's doing. Instead of saying, if that's you, Lord, then I humble myself and receive that. And see, that's really how we stay current with God. That's walking humbly. And we'll never get anywhere until we walk that way with God. Our Christian life is going to be stunted until we learn how to walk humbly with the Lord. And that's how you walk. One of the ways you walk worthy of the Lord is being humble. And that's walking in unity with the Holy Spirit. It takes a lot of humility to stay in unity with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit can be difficult at times in our life. He doesn't go along with what everybody else is doing. He's the kind of guy who will say, I'm not going along with the crowd. I'm not going along with the greatest things. That's not what I'm doing. And so we have to make a choice many times when he's doing that. And it's, many times it can offend our minds. It can be upsetting to us. But if we're going to walk in unity with him, we have to walk humble. Are y'all getting that? It's really important. That's how you're going to grow spiritually. That's how you're going to go somewhere with God is by walking humbly and walking in faith. All right. Praise the Lord. Are y'all good? All right. Last one. Walk in rest. This is good. John 5. John 5. I'm going to read John 5 to you. There's a couple of good things here. All right. Remember the story of the pool of Bethesda? Now think about this story for me. This is one of those stories in the Bible that this is crazy to me. Here, here there is a pool, okay? And an angel, this is in Jesus' day, an angel goes down in this pool and stirs it up somehow, just gets and rolls his hand around it, and people see it. They see the waters getting moved, and it says the first person who gets in there gets healed. Now, that was the way the deal worked. And the second person, they're just not going to get in there. Does that blow your mind? Does it blow your mind that an angel would do something like that? Well, dang on, man. These angels are stirring waters. Have y'all, have y'all thought about something? Some of the greatest things that happened in the Bible happened because angels showed up. If you read, this is I was reading Acts 9 and 10 and 11, and this is when the Gentiles got the gospel. And these angels were all involved in this. And people were having visions. People were having trances. Uh, the, some of the greatest things that ever happened. Of course, Jesus' birth, obviously. But I'm just saying that there's just a lot of stuff in the Bible that the church, the Western church, has just pushed away. And we've pushed away our heritage that we have. When we, when we push all that kind of thing away, I'm not, I don't know why I'm saying that, but I'm just saying angels are a big part of what God does. Yeah, come on. They really are. You know, they really are a big part of the gospel message. And we've, we've sort of thrown the baby out with the bathwater. You ain't supposed to worship them, but you, dang on, you're not supposed to just run them out of the church. You run them out of your house. We don't want to worship you, so leave. You know, we don't want you. Don't come into my house. And you know, I'm doing the opposite. Come on in the house. I'm wanting you in there. I need you in there. I need some somebody from heaven in this in this place. You know? Because they bring stuff from God and God has designed it that way cuz God could give us everything without needing anything. You know, he really could, but he chose not to do that. And so we have to really be careful with some of our theology when it's really not in alignment with what the scripture really teaches. I mean, that's one that stumbles a lot of people, I hate to say. 
is, is all that kind of thing. But anyways, so there was this one guy who was at this pool. And this guy obviously was in bad shape because he could not get in the pool by himself. So I had an answer for it. My carnal answer was that guy is get a bunch of your friends and just kill off all these other sick people. <laughs> just, I mean, beat them senseless, drag them off somewhere, and dare them to even come close to that pool. Like, if you even come near this pool, we will kill your hide. Now, you have a choice. You can get back there, but at my friend's going in first. So nobody's jumping in front of him. That was my carnal answer for the, for the whole poor guy. Of course, he wouldn't do it. You know, he couldn't do it. The guy was probably paralyzed or something. And so Jesus shows up one day, and it says, this is awesome, man. I just love this. It's in verse 6, verse 5. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. 38 years is important. That wasn't just put there just to say, well, it's been a long time. Because it, it could have said it's been a long time, most of his life even. Okay? Because that really caught my attention. 38 years, I wonder what that means. When Jesus saw him lying there, so obviously it was probably a paraplegic or quadriplegic, something, something along those lines, and knew that it had already been in that condition that long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? He asked him this question. The sick man, this is interesting, isn't it? This is this interesting thing. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. So he didn't really answer him. When the water is stirred up, when... No man to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. That's what he said. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Those three things are important. Because that's what we're talking about today, right? We're talking about walking. Okay? We're talking about walking. All right, first, 38 years. This is what any good Hebrew would know. I wish Dean was here, but he probably he's not a good Hebrew always. Huh? And David Starr, he's not here. Where's these Hebrews at, man? They wouldn't notice. I promise you they wouldn't. Okay? You th- I bet she don't know. I'll find out. Okay, 40 years. Everybody knows that Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years, right? 40 years. Okay, but did you know this? The first two years was the will of God for them to be there. Now listen to this. Because God wanted to build an ark or build the uh, tabernacle of Moses, get the law, get all that stuff established before they went into the promised land. So it was going to take two years for man to build that, you know, Moses and that tabernacle deal, get all this stuff, get ready, get their, stu- get their act together from, and get that, sort of get that slave mentality dealt with so they come into the son mentality. Two years. But then, at the end of two years, the Lord sent the spies in. Remember that? Kadesh Barnea, and they, they came back just scared to death and wouldn't do it. And guess what? They spent how many years wandering? 38 years under a curse. Okay? So here's what the Lord was saying to this man. That's why the 38 years. Because he was a picture of Israel. It was really a picture of everybody. Really like, listen, you've been in this condition for a long time. Actually, 38 years. And this is what the Lord's trying to say to the church. He's trying to say to the church, it's time to get up. Okay, it's time to rise. And now, this is also interesting. Rise, and this is what blew my mind, rise and take up your bed. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, take up your bed? Do you give a rip about a bed, Lord? I mean, that's something your mama would tell you. Pick your clothes up. Or your wife, if you're married to Becky. Pick this up. Pick that up. If you take a 
get a glass of ice water and drink half of it and set it down somewhere and walk off. You come back, where's my ice water? I poured it out. Why? Because it was sitting there for two minutes. I mean, that's the way it made me feel. Why do you care about the bed? This is why. Right? That's what your mama would do, not Jesus. <laughs> I mean, Jesus don't care about beds. He's not caring about the people littering and leaving their bed behind. Somebody can get the bed. Somebody else would have got the bed. What does the bed stand for in your life? Rest. He's saying, get up, guys, but don't leave your rest behind. You've got to walk and rest. Get rise, take your rest, and walk. Man, don't strive to enter into anything that God has for you. You enter into everything God has for you by resting and by leaning back on what He's already done for you. You know, that's, yeah, that's what he was telling. That's how you're going to do this. If you'll just get up from where you are and, ta- and start walking, but make sure you don't walk without rest. Make sure you don't walk trying to make things happen, trying to strive for your calling. And, and people who have really strong calls do that. But they, if we could just get this thing, we can just rest. If we'll just walk in faith, if we'll walk in humility, and we'll just walk in rest, trusting that what God has already done is sufficient. It's all a finished deal. It's two, Ephesians 2.10, I, I, your work, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to walk in good works that He foreordained for us, that He's already finished. The works are done. He's just saying, just walk them out. You don't have to strive. All you have to do is make a decision. You had to be intentional. You had to think about it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm making a choice to do this. But you don't have to fight anybody about it. You don't, except for the devil, you better keep your shield of faith up. Because he'll tell you lies. That's how you fight. You keep that shield of faith up. And then you have that word, you know, that's sort of the spirit that you tell him to stop. Rebuke the devil. That's the person you fight over the thing. And let me tell you something about rebuking the devil. Okay? Everybody thinks, I rebuke you, devil. I rebuke you. That is not what rebuke means. When Jesus was rebuking, literally, look this up in the Greek. He would say to those demons, you are a stinking, foul spirit. Leave. And because the devil is so full of pride, okay, those devils can't stand to be talked to like that. They really can't. They're humiliating to them. That's how you rebuke a devil. You tell them, you stink, you're ugly, you're not welcome here, I hate you, I can't stand you, you're ugly. And that's a rebuke. That's what the Bible means by rebuke. Instead of saying, I rebuke you, I rebuke you, I rebuke you. And they're sitting there saying, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You know, but when you start talking to them about how crummy they are, they hate that. It is good. I mean, it's the Lord. Here's another thing I wanted to tell you about, uh, about rest. This is something I discovered. In the Bible, it's 365 times the Bible says, do not fear. That's one for every day of your life. Every day of your life, you can get up. It's not like the Andy's tweet about the... I'm not going to tell you what he put tweeting. You don't even want to know. In fact, don't follow Andy if you don't want to hear some theology. Jesus, like, that can't be the Lord, Andy. Anyways. (laughs) Anyways. Okay? Every day you can get up, and there's a do not fear for you. Because every day of your life, the devil's waiting to put fear in you. But there is one place that I found in the Bible where the Lord said fear. And this is where it was. Hebrews 4.1. Fear, lest you enter into his rest. In, in other words, the writer of Hebrews said that's the one thing in our life that we need to be afraid of is not being in rest. 
So if you're not in rest, you need to be like, oh, i got to get back in rest because this is something to be feared because it will destroy your life. It will destroy your spiritual life. And everything you do, if you're not in a place of rest, is you're, you're headed down the wrong road. That's why Washman Nee wrote that book about Ephesians, Sit, Walk, Stand. He said, before you can ever walk your Christian life, you better get that, that rest thing set up. And before you ever mess with the devil, don't even think about messing with the devil unless you're at rest in your life. Unless, Christ, unless you're seated with Christ, unless the, the work is finished in you and you're trusting in that finished work, you're not trusting in what you're going to do, you, not your effort, not your thoughts, not anything. It's all Him. You're trusting Him and you're trusting Him to do that through you. That's the way God designed the Christian life to be. And I'll tell you, one more tidbit that I personally love is about the fear of the Lord, because I found this out recently. Okay? When Jesus told, this is no kidding, and I've, certainly, and I've researched this a little bit more than just reading it, but in Matthew 4.10, when the devil wanted Jesus to fall down and worship him. Remember that? And Jesus was, see, the devil was using scriptures. Okay? But Jesus could discern when those scriptures were being, they were being used in a wrong way and manipulated. See, he had that revelation going. He had that silver bridle thing going. So he could tell when things weren't right. And the devil said, you know, fall down and worship me, blah, blah, and gave him all these scriptures, or gave him a scripture. And Jesus came back and gave him another scripture and said, and this is what he said, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him. That's what he told him. That's pretty good, isn't it? You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him. Well, if you go back and look at the Scripture he ref- that Jesus used, because Jesus used the Scripture to say that back to, to Satan. It was Deuteronomy 6.13. And you know what it says in Deuteronomy 6.13? You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him. Y'all get that? Now, this is Jesus' definition of fearing the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Isn't that pretty good? Now, see, we have a warped view because that word fear in Deuteronomy 6, 13 means, it literally means exactly what it says, fear. You need to be scared of. You need to make, you know, be careful of. You need to know, you know. But there's also that part of you need to honor. And this is what Jesus said. He just says, no, worship. That's a real word for worship. It's that word that everybody teaches on about the dog licking his master's hand. That's what Jesus said. This is what real fear is. This is what the fear of the Lord is. It's worshiping God. That's how real fear is. Isn't that a great revelation? I mean, it sort of settles some things in your heart about the fear of the Lord. Like, we've got to be scared of our daddy. Like, he's going to come home and beat the fool out of us and step all over us because we, we're such scoundrel kids. That is, Jesus was trying to erase that. He was trying to get rid of that thought for us. And let us know, you don't have to. No, if you'll just worship Him, if you'll just bless Him and honor Him, you don't have to think about being scared of Him. Because that's what Jesus said. Jesus' definition of fear of the Lord is worship the Lord. Can just, we just say thank you for that, Lord? That we don't have to walk around afraid? Except for the one thing. We're afraid we were not going to be in His rest. And if you're not in his rest, you will be messed up. So, that's good, isn't it? We need to thank the Lord. Here's another thing we need to do. All right, I'm just telling you this stuff. I, I, I've been worshiping the Lord for years in church. And I discovered something. This is what I discovered. I discovered you can worship the Lord for an experience. Or you can just worship him. You know what I'm saying? You can worship the Lord so you have a certain type of worship experience. But if you'll just worship Him, there's a big difference between those two things. 
and this will be a big difference in your heart when you just worship the Lord. You know, I just want to say this. I, I mean, I ain't, I'm not telling you anything like I'm something special here, okay? But I will tell you this. We sing these songs about the Lord like this morning like there's none beside you, okay? There's none beside you. But have you thought about that when you worship the Lord? When you really say to Him and sing to Him, Lord, there was never and there never will be another person like you. There's nothing like you, Lord. Or you just say it because you want to get caught up in the, in the move of the Spirit in the room. And I want to be caught up. Trust me. I'm, I'm 100% in getting caught up. But I tell you what, I'm, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling, I just want to say to the Lord what's the truth to the Lord. Not because I want God to do something for me, because I desperately want Him to do something for me. In fact, I'm going to tell you this. I'm doing this because He's already desperately done something for me. And it's, it's that thing about just letting God love you and letting God bless and bless and bless you. And out of that will come this thing like, oh, you are the most precious person that ever was. There's nobody like you. There's nothing else ever that was ever like you. I was going to say created, but since He's not created, that's not good. Okay? But He's the only begotten Son. He's the unique, one-of-a-kind person. When we begin to tell Him that in our worship, whether it's personal worship or when we're with other people, see, something really can happen in our lives. And that's a different, that's what I believe He was talking about in John 4. I'm looking for people who will worship me in spirit and truth. In spirit and truth. You know? And see, things could really happen. God is really looking. This is what he, he wants to bring people in. All the way in. He wants to bring us all the way in. He wants to bring us in to His place. He wants to bring us in. You know what? I believe this. This is what I really believe. I don't believe God sits on, the Father sits on the throne all the time in heaven. I don't believe He sits up there eternally. I think He gets off the throne. You know? walks around in heaven and visits with people in heaven. Visit with the people, the saints in heaven. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know this, but I just believe that somehow he's saying, you know what? I want you to visit with me like I visit with the saints in heaven. I, you know, yes, we're going to come before his throne and kneel, all that. Yeah, amen, we're going to do that. But I believe he's looking for people who will say, I, don't, I just want to, when you're not at work, being on the throne, what are you doing? And can I come and see you like that? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what did you do before you created everybody? Could I, can we talk about that? Before you made earth, can we talk about that? I'd like to know that. That's how I got saved, asking God questions like that. It's thinking that there's more to God than we realize and more to the Father and that He really is looking for people that He can invite into this relationship. I'm serious. I'm, I know this is not your normal thought, but it's, I'm serious when we begin to think like that. Well, maybe He wants me to come visit Him when He's not up on the throne making decisions about things and calling the shots on stuff. He's just being a dad. You know, that we can come just hang around with Him. He can begin to reveal His heart to us. I, I would love to do that, actually. I think God wants to show Himself to us in a different way than we've ever seen Him. I really do. I think He really wants people to know that. That thing we show that God, He was saying, I'm looking for people. Every day I'm looking for you. I don't think He's just looking for us just to pray and read the Bible. I think He's really looking for somebody to come see Him.
who can say, I'd like to come see you. You know, I've told the Lord, I really would like to come see you. You know, and I'm, I mean, I'm probably going to be scared to death and, you know, wanting to hide under, you know, hide under the carpet. But I really would like to be with you like that. I would like to find out more about you and how you are and what you do and how you spend your time and what you're thinking about. I really would love to have that, Lord. Would you would you let me have that? Would you help me get to that place in my life when I can know you like that? And I just believe the Lord wants to do that for people. And He's looking for people who just have that thing in their heart that would say to the Lord, Lord, I want that. Can you help me have that, Lord? So I want us to do this this morning about the silver bridle thing. I want us to put that silver bridle on this morning and just... Just say, Lord, I want the silver bridle. Now, this is what's going to happen. If you really do this, at first, it's going to it's going to be irritating to you. You know, you, you know, like a horse. You see a horse and a guy that's riding it, pull on it. Well, you know about that. You know, it makes a ho- head turn. I mean, it guides them. See, your words. See, that's what the scripture's saying. Your words is going to guide your life. That's why it says the tongue is like a rudder on a ship. It turns a ship. It's like a bridle on a horse's. It turns it, it guides it. And see, a lot of us, our lives have gone in a direction that it shouldn't have because of our words that we've been saying. And the Lord's saying, let me put that bridle in your mouth. And if I put that bridle in your mouth, you'll get used to it and you'll begin to love it. And you'll begin to hear things. You'll begin to hear things. You'll begin to hear when the truth is spoken. Because the truth inside of you will say, that's the truth. I'm attracted to that. Or when you hear it like, oh, that wasn't 100% the truth. That was 78% truth. You know? We'll, we'll take that 12% and throw it in the trash can. We'll extract the precious from the worthless. You know? That's what we'll do. We'll extract the trash. Like, well, Byron, you know, that was just, the rest of that was just bones. I don't really need bones. I want the meat. I want the good. I want the, the real. And, but we'll learn how to discern that and know that. And that's what that bridle will do for you. And it'll really cause us to be people of true faith people of true faith and that's really what God's looking for is people of true faith that we can walk in faith and we can walk with that heart of humility and we can stay at rest in our hearts and not strive for life not strive to try to get where we want to go not strive to try to have the things that God wants us to we just get in a place of rest and trust knowing that that's really what He wants for us and helps us and we just have to be intentional I mean to me that's a great word be intentional just pay attention and think about it Amen Okay, let's just ask the Lord to do If you want to do that, just ask Him. Just say, Holy Spirit, I ask you to come right now. Come, Holy Spirit, Lord, I'm asking you again to put the bridle, put that silver bridle, that James 3 bridle in my mouth, Lord, to control my mouth, to control my tongue, that my tongue, Lord, really would be the thing that speaks the truth. Lord, that there'd be grace to the hearers, Lord. Lord, that's what uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4, that, that we impart grace to the hearers when we speak, Lord. Lord, that's what we desire for all our hearts. We want what uh, Psalm 45 says, is grace is upon the Lord Jesus' lips. Lord, that's what we want for us. We want that grace on our mouth. We want that grace on our tongues. We want to impart grace to people, that when we speak, grace would go into their hearts. Grace would go in their minds. People could drink from the words that we're speaking. It wouldn't be like a sour well, Lord. It would be a pure well. It would be a pure spring. Spring, giving pure water, Lord. 
Lord, we ask you to do that. So we're asking you today, Lord. We're saying, Holy Spirit, come right now. Place that silver bridle on our mouths today. We receive it. We accept it. Lord, we know that we cannot tame our own tongues. Lord, we can't make up the truth. We can't say it enough. Lord, but if you'll come and place it on our mouth, Lord, then you'll teach us. You'll teach us how to make the proper confession of faith. You'll teach us when to speak and when not to speak. You will cause our words to be full of grace and full of life. We're asking you to do that today in Jesus' name. We just ask you to do it. We thank you for it. Everybody just say, thank you, Lord. Lord, we receive that today, Lord. We receive it, Lord. We receive it, Lord. We receive what you're doing in this hour on the earth, Lord. We receive that today, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, help us with the shield of faith. Help us with the shield of faith, Lord. Uh, Jesus, this is what the Bible says, Psalm 23, that He anointed my head with oil. This is important. You know, the sheep in a certain time of year, actually this time of year in the natural, uh, these flies would get into these sheep and, and burrow themselves down into their, their head and just bite and bite and, and, you know, lay eggs in them. And so the shepherd would take this oil and pour on them. And it would cleanse, it would kill them flies, it would cleanse them. That's why it says, he anointed my head with oil. That's why, that's the picture that David was saying, because he had probably done that many, many a time with his sheep. Poured it and got rid of the flies, speak of lies. Flies are lies. And the Lord wants to pour on us this morning his oil, the shepherd's oil. Lord, just ask him, we were speaking about that. Fill us with fresh oil. That's what it is. It's to wash away the lies off your mind. Just ask him, Lord, I just received that oil. I just received that oil, that oil, that Psalm 23 oil of heaven. He anoints my head with oil. It's what the Bible says, Lord. We declare that over our heads today. We declare it over our heads. And we break the power of lies on us, Lord. We break the power of lies that we believe, Lord. Lord, reveal to us things that we're believing that are lies from hell that are destroying us, Lord. Lord, just release it right now. Anoint our heads with oil. Heal the wounds in our heads, Lord. Lord Jesus took, he took a, a crown of thorns and was beaten on the head. He was beaten over and over and over. And those thorns were driven into his mind. You want to deliver us from every curse, every lie. Every lie. You see, that's what that work thing is. Thorns were, spoke of toiling the ground. Toiling the ground. The Lord doesn't want us. He wants us to work with him, but not toil. He wants us to work from rest. Lord, just do that. Just do that, Lord. Just break that spirit over people's minds today of toil, of having to work so hard, Lord. We break it, Lord. If Jesus suffered that, we decide today. Here's our minds, Lord. We just get up on the... We get into that place when those men beat you, Lord. We stand in you as we were crucified in you. If we were crucified with you, Lord, we were beaten over the head with you. So we will never have to live that way again, Lord. Lord, we just receive that, what the blood of Jesus has done for our minds today. What the oil of heaven has done for our minds. Lord, that we can get free and walk in humility and walk in faith and walk in rest, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Do that in this room this morning. Lord, we are the sheep of your pasture. We're the sheep of your hand. You said, you know, you said I know my sheep. And you take care of your sheep, Lord. We're your sheep. Mm. You know, the Bible says, He sets the table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
like, oh, well, you know, there's the devil there raising hell and just doing all this crazy stuff. Sounds, well, we're just going to sit down and have a, have a hamburger on the grill and look at him and stick our tongues at him and say, I dare you to come near me. I dare you because the Lord is here. You don't want to come around the Lord because he sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies. They can't touch me. They may be present, but they can't get to me because I'm with the Lord. I'm walking with Jesus. I'm in unity with the Holy Spirit. I'm not opening my mouth and speaking things that bring the enemy in. I'm opening my mouth and speaking things that put a wall up. Oh, Lord, just do that. Just do that, Lord. Just do that, Lord. It says that that, uh, that flowing water, I, I don't know if I said it, but, but you know that word still water? Actually, it's a gentle flowing that's the real picture there. It's not just water to set and stagnant. He don't, he don't take us to stagnant water. He takes us to a place where we can rest. And there's a flow of water. It just gives us peace and gives us joy. Lord, let that flow be in our life on a daily basis, Lord. Daily, we go beside those gentle flowing waters that just wash away all the filth, all the lies, all the hurt. Oh, Lord, just release that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, I want people in this room who are sick this morning to stand up. Right where you are. Would you just stand up? If you have any kind of ailment in your body, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to make a confession, okay, if you want to. <laughs> you don't have to do that. If you want to make this confession of your sickness, okay, as he is, so am I in this world. You say yourself, I, Lord, Lord uh, you can say to him, Lord Jesus, as you are and you do not have liver cancer, so am I. Now, you just say whatever it is. You say that to the Lord. You start saying that, and you spend your life saying that to the Lord. You get up tomorrow morning and say it. We all need to say it in the morning. We need to say it in the afternoon. As you are, Lord, I'm feeling messed up, but as you are, so am I in this world. I don't have to be messed up, Lord, because as you are, you're not messed up. Lord, I feel scared right now. As you are, so am I, Lord. I choose not to be scared. I don't have to be scared, Lord. You just begin to make that confession. Just, Lord, just release that. Make that real, Lord. You have written the word in our heart. Make that word real. 1 John 4, 17. As you are, as you are, as Jesus Christ is right this moment, so am I in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. I declare that over my life. I decree that over my life. I believe that for myself. Lord, I believe what the Bible says. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Healing power. Healing, I really believe this, is a state of being. It's a state of being. It's being like Christ. It's being Christ-like. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I need to stop. Because I told Matthew I was going to preach for 35 minutes. And he told me in the first service, you preach for 40. (laughs) Y'all going to do a song? Just hearing this course. So what we're going to do is, Lord bless you, keep you, let his face shine upon you. We're going to do this course and dismiss how that goes. Lord, I receive everything you have for me. Lord, I receive everything you have. Up and sing it with me, Lord. I receive everything you.